Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 18 of the Motorsport 101 podcast, featuring me, your esteemed host, Andre Harrison. It's been a long time since we've last done one of these. Um, exactly a month to the day of this recording. April 28th was the last time we've recorded one of these. Today is May 28th, so you can't say I'm not good at timing. Uh, I'm, just, just to say I'm fashionably late more than anything else. So, this is episode 18. We're kind of skipping over a little bit of stuff. There's not been an awful lot to talk about in the last time. I mean, yeah, we missed the Spanish Grand Prix, but let's be real here, nothing friggin' happened in that Grand Prix besides King's beloved favourite, Nico Rosberg, finally winning a Grand Prix this season. All right, yeah. King. <laughs> yeah. Taking it in classic Nico Rosberg style fashion. Lead from the front. Lead from the front. Don't make any mistakes. Hope Hamilton has trouble because there's no other way Hamilton wasn't going to win. Translation: <laughs> <laughs> The Sebastian Vettel fan club welcomes you for uh, for your win, Nico Rosberg. You owe us one. <laughs> you should have pulled over for us in Monaco to say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, Vettel's still a title contender at this point, so I guess that's probably not the right idea, unless you work for Mercedes. Uh, <laughs> bribery! <laughs> oh, dear. It's a scandal. One to rival FIFA. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, yeah, FIFA, if you're looking for new executives, we're unemployed. <laughs> we are unemployed. I, I am willing to work for £10 an hour. I'm cheap <laughs> and efficient. I'm, I'm just saying, okay? <laughs> like, it's, it, like, what else could possibly go wrong? So, yeah, what we've missed, we missed the Spanish Grand Prix. Not much really happened besides Rosberg winning. We missed a couple of MotoGP rounds. Spoiler alert, Jorge Lorenzo won both of them in highly exciting fa- No. Uh, <laughs> it was actually- in Nico Rosberg style fashion. Lead from the front, don't make mistake, Lorenzo wins lol. Because, you know, he's smooth, he's a brilliant rider, but god damn is he boring. Um... And he's too busy posting motivational quotes on Twitter these days, essentially, to be anything near exciting. Mind you, did did you see him? He was at the Spanish Grand Prix, though, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, He swapped helmets with Daniel Ricciardo and everything, which was quite cool. He said uh, Daniel Ricciardo's one of the most humble drivers he's ever met. Aww. (laughs) Which uh, will cause King to talk more about the Daniel Ricciardo bandwagon. What's what's that quote you're saying again, King? (laughs) Oh, my God. Go on. Look, I, I promised that I would never repeat that on any recording. Oh, I'm way ahead of you. Let me remind the viewers at home who were listening in what, what phrase we're looking for here. And the quote is, I'm, and I'm sure you can correct me on this one if you like, King. I'm pretty sure it's like, I like Daniel Ricciardo, I don't like the amount of people who are on his dick. Yes, it, it was slightly more explicit than that, but you got the gist of it. Go on, King. Correct me. Yeah. No, no, no. It, it came out when the Top Gear lap time happened, then it came out again when the Lazarus Sports Award happened. Then just, now it's done. Is this, now the, it's done. is this the sheer Michaela Schiffer and bitterness from you at this point, King? The second time it was. The first <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Second time it was, first time it was just, yeah, he's gonna be forever at the top of the at the top of the F1 reasonably reasonably priced car time board. Yeah, because he just smashed Lewis Hamilton to smithereens on that lap, and I'm like, oh god, Daniel Ricciardo is gonna be on top forever, uh, <laughs> which is what I was thinking at Red Bull as a Sebastian Vettel fan for a little while. Uh, <laughs> thank God that changed. Right, 
rundown for this week's show, besides the boring stuff we kind of got out of the way real quick. Oh, yeah, we've, we've got one more thing there. Will Power did win the Indianapolis road course version, which was, again, highly excited. No. Uh, <laughs> the best part of that race was Joseph Newgarden being the lap down and playing the world's best-looking wall. Um, but, uh, yeah, besides that, the run order for this show. We'll be talking about the news. In this case, a big deal about alcohol sponsorships reportedly reported in the FIA as a... Uh, Jean Todd actually did something. Yeah, that's a new story in its own right. But him coming out saying he's not going to ban alcohol sponsorship usage um, in Formula One, which is interesting and kind of hypocritical. And we'll talk about that more in depth. We'll be talking about the reigning world champion's eye-watering new contract as Lewis Hamilton becomes not only the most paid man in Formula One, but one of the richest athletes on the planet, period. Floyd Money Mayweather has come to Formula One, everybody, and he's wearing gold chains. <laughs> Great! We'll be talking about the Monaco Grand Prix and the pit stop heard around the world as Mercedes done goofed to an eye-watering total of three points. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, this thing was a big deal, apparently. <laughs> we'll be talking about the Max Verstappen Romain Grosjean incident, Kimi, Kimi Raikkonen and Daniel Ricciardo basically try to replicate Project Cars AI, and Alonso and Hulkenberg have a little tangle, and Alonso still can't believe he was punished for it. Why? Because Fernando Alonso. Sergio Perez got in the points, McLaren finally got off the mark, and why we really, really should stop going to Monaco at this point, quite frankly. We'll be talking about the Indy 500. We'll be talking about all the pre-race hype and drama that ha that suffered, including three backwards and rotating cars during practice, James Hinchcliffe's near-fatal accident, and the race itself, including Conor Daly, the internet favourite, not being able to start, not now Sato, a ton of crashes, and Juan Pablo Montoya becoming, his, becoming a double Indy 500 winner 15 years after his first victory. God, that seems like such a long time ago. That's, well, that's because it is, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, shit, I was eight years old when Montoya won an Indy 500, and, and like, back then I was just barely into Formula 1. I was like, who's this Montoya fella? And why is this car <laughs> so different? Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, we'll be talking all about that, and Monty, with the most casual milk drinking I've ever seen for winning an Indy 500. It's like, just drench it over your race suit. No, I'm going gonna, gonna to take a sip, have, have the kids have a sip, pass it around. Like we're, we're saving this for three weeks' time, apparently, as we do our media tour. And, wow. and, and finally, we'll be talking about all the regulation changes that are on the cards for 2016 and 17, including the return of refueling and teams having the free choice of tyre compound selection for the weekends. Trust me, it's not as exciting as you guys think it is. And why I really don't think refueling is a thing, and it's not really a factor. But we'll talk about that more in-depth later on in the show. So, without further ado, let's talk about Motorsport 101, and let's open up with the news. So, King, tell us more about the alcohol sponsorship situation in Formula 1. Well, recently, Eurocare, the, the advocacy group for the European Union on... Well, specifically, alcohol-related affairs have been pressuring the the FIA to ban alcohol sponsorships in Formula One because they see it as extremely excessive. I actually don't have the stats on me on, <laughs> on hand right now, but I'll have it for when I do my my own podcast next week, so you can listen for that shameless plug. Yeah, typical king, plugging yourself <laughs> on my show. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> 
I, I've made no problem about stealing the finish line shit half the time as well and getting away with it. So, yeah, I mean, a shameless plug is the least I can do. So I'll be on that as well. So next Tuesday, check out the Scrutineer podcast with Ryan King. I'll be on that alongside my uh, Bike Live partner in crime and general roasting partner, Rebecca James. So you, you can look forward to that one. Jokes will be inevitable. Yes. Um, and, yeah, if, if five points for every Alex Lowe's mention we can get in. Um, but, uh, yeah, tell us more, King. Yeah, so Eurocare has been saying that alcohol sponsorship in Formula One is extremely excessive mm. and that they should consider just outright banning it. While earlier today, John Todd said, John Todd, president of the FAI, said that he's not, it's not even under consideration. If alcohol advertising is going to be banned, that countries have to do it, not the FIA. It's not the FIA's job. Yeah, well, while Jean has got a point, I mean, why should the FIA ban alcohol sponsors? It makes them money. I mean, it's kind of goes without saying, really, to a degree. But, I mean, it does seem somewhat hypocritical that the FIA is not even considering a restriction on alcohol sponsorships when they themselves have an official whiskey. <laughs> Johnny Walker, of course. Yes. Uh, they have an official whiskey, and it seems even worse when, at the time, like, you know, 17 of the 19 races on the calendar have um, have alcohol sponsors and whatnot, and have, have alcohol sponsorships allowed. I mean, Bahrain and Abu Dhabi, the two races that don't, they just flat out, the country itself bans alcohol. So, I mean, that's kind of a problem, <laughs> essentially. It's like, yeah, it flat out bans alcohol, but even though there's special dispensation, so, you know, last year in Abu Dhabi, you still had Martini Williams as Martini Williams. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, they had to get rid of that sponsorship during those races, and in the F1 2014 video game, because the game was rated Peggy Free, you couldn't have an alcohol sponsor in the game, hence why Williams had the white and blue livery and had the red part of the stripe removed as well as the Martini logo. So there's yeah. people, many people actually asked me about that when the game came out, I was like, but Dre, why isn't it the Williams livery? Well... Mm, you're not allowed to market alcohol to children. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, mummy, what's martini? Um, oh ask when you're older, son. It's um. like, alcohol advertising here in the United States isn't bad. NASCAR has it, but it's, it's highly... It, it, alcohol advertising in the United States is self-regulating. And in yeah. NASCAR, they have an extreme hard-line stance where the drinking age in the U.S. is 21 years of age. Yeah, Any driver... Box. Yeah, any driver in NASCAR who drives, who, who, uh, yeah, any driver in NASCAR who's under the age of 21 cannot drive a car with an alcohol sponsorship on it. Wow. And mm. any cars that do have alcohol sponsorship on the car boldly need to say, drink responsibly, that, on a clearly visible portion of the car. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of spoils the tone, doesn't it? It's like a, a great big Budweiser sign, but it says drink responsibly underneath the text. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like please drink our beer, but not too much. It's the same thing over here in this country with, with like gambling. You, know, like, you have to have like the asterisk of saying please gamble responsibly like during the commercial. Like, that's like... You know for a fact, if they could get away with it, they would never mention this shit. Because, like, you know, like, well, please, like, bet fair, please gamble responsibly. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And then, I don't know, I, I, I don't want to throw this particular person under the bus, but I had an interaction.
reaction this morning when the statement came out on Twitter with someone who works at motorsport.com. Uh-huh. And he basically defended, I, I argue that the FIA should definitely ban it because, because it, it's not good for the FIA. And he said that his reasoning why the FIA should keep it because the teams are financially struggling and it would kill teams if they were to lose alcohol sponsorship. And, huh? and I, it was so ironic. It's like, Formula One is so dependent on alcohol, they can't quit it. (laughs) (laughs) That's one way of looking at it, I suppose, right? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, Um, uh, because, like, Force India, their two major sponsors are alcohol brands. Yeah, Kingfisher and Smearmoth, innit? Um, And, And so is Williams, their major sponsor is Martini, so... Those two teams are both, well, Williams is not really financially struggling. They're just not financially able to compete. It's while like, Force India is on the brink of collapse. Yeah, it's like, guys, 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 it's like, we could ban alcohol sponsors. But, but like, next sudden we lose another six cars on the grid. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but, I mean, that's not the point. It's like... it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be the point. I mean, it's, it, like, it's, a, it's a terrible point. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it sounds terrible. I even have to say that. But it's like, well, guys, you want it cost cutting, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like you better cut costs now. And it's, it's not like Formula One hasn't had to go through this before. Because remember when all the tobacco brands had to leave because tobacco advertising was banned flat across all of Europe. Mm-hmm. Simply put, and then Ferrari were the last guys to drop it. I don't think they dropped it until I think no. twenty eleven. They didn't drop it. They're, they're still spot. All, all the ad space on the car is still owned by um, owned by a Ro- is it Robert Morris International? Really? Yeah, it's still oh, all owned. They they basically just act as a middleman and sell it to other companies. That the, if you didn't hear that, that was me face palming. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> like it's like I'm pretty sure we, I'm. I usually mention this on every episode. How. How, you know, current team principal, what, oh my god, Maurizio Rivabete is a former Marlboro executive. Oh, that, our favorite team principal. Yeah, it's like Ferrari has very close ties with the tobacco industry that is not going away anytime soon. They don't advertise tobacco anymore, but it's essentially still owned by tobacco. Yeah, and if you want to get a more in-depth look at just how friggin' sleazy tobacco companies are, I highly recommend the Last Week Tonight segment on tobacco. It is, It will blow your mind. It's, it, I, think, I, I still say it's the best main feature segment he's ever done on the program, and it is utterly hilarious, the last five minutes of it as well. So if you haven't <laughs> checked that out already, do so. It's bloody brilliant. It's on YouTube, free of charge. Go out of your way to see it. Last Week Tonight is bloody brilliant, in case you haven't known already. We'll talk about it on Twitter enough as it is, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, that's the hypocrisy of the FIA for you, because let's be real here, if we didn't have alcohol sponsors, we'd be down another two teams. Delightful! <laughs> Ironic, given that, again, the, one of the biggest teams in the sport is an energy drink firm. <laughs> Take that, yep. alcohol. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a thing. R- moving on! Our reign world champion has signed a colossal new contract. I mean, it was always going to be a matter of when as opposed to if, really. There was no, there was nothing else on the table. I know Bernie was trying to whisper in Lewis's ear, like, go to Ferrari. Oh, oh, if, if he did not sign that contract until after Monaco, Ooh. well, after Monaco, it wouldn't have been 
when he signs that contract, it really would have become if. Oh, yeah. Like, seriously, <laughs> the timing of this was incredible. That, like, li- literally three days after he signs an extension, Hamilton gets seemingly gets shafted by his own team. Oh, that's what many casual F1 fans seem to think, and still think, even after a Mercedes Q&A with Toto Wolf on Twitter yesterday, um, at the time of recording. I was, was it yesterday? Was it the, I can't remember which day it was, but whatever. Earlier this week, we'll go with that, uh, basically. But, yeah, I mean, the timing of this was kind of hilarious now in, in, in context, given what happened during the race, which we'll get to in a bit. But, yeah, Lewis Hamilton signed a brand-new three-year extension with the Mercedes-AMG Formula 1 team. It is the biggest contract in the history of Formula 1, I believe. And yes. <laughs> on sheer salary, the I mean, it, again, this is not official. This is coming from The Guardian, but The Guardian knows people. It's, it's a good source. They say it's a three-year, £130 million contract. That is roughly, I would say, what, about $200 million, roughly, more or less? Yeah, more or Um, less. Yeah, maybe a little bit more than 200 but Jesus Christ, what a contract that is. I mean, Hamilton is now being paid £43 million a year. (laughs) To put that into perspective for you, we worked out... That I worked out using the using math at the time that if Lewis Hamilton dropped a pound out of his pocket, he'd be able to earn that pound back before the original pound hit the ground. <laughs> He's making more than a pound a second, like something in the region of five hundred thousand a week. He's on super rich money. That's what, my, that's what my dad used to call fuck you money, basically. <laughs> that's what he said you'd like to call it because it is a eye-watering, terrifying amount of money, and it puts him right up there with guys like Roger Federer, guys like Floyd Mayweather, um, you know, your Tom Brady's, your just super, super rich athlete that is getting not only a big wage, but also a shitload of endorsements and sponsor money, which is what, which is where a lot of the NFL guys get their money from anyway, like Peyton Manning and Papa John's, for instance, or... Tom Brady wearing Ugg boots, which pains me to say as a Patriots fan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't want to point this out, but I have to note on salary alone, like, Tom Brady is not even, like, within the top five players in the league. No, not anymore. Like, seriously, because these contracts are getting bigger and bigger in the NFL now because they're using the previous big deals as, like, markers. Like, okay, well, this guy. Uh, got- I mean- this guy got 110. Why don't I get 130? <laughs> it's like, j- just a little side note for, for all you NFL mm. fans mm. out there right now, in terms of, in terms of salary, highest paid, the, the top three highest play, paid players in the league right now. Number one, Matt Ryan. Huh? <laughs> yeah, number one, Matt Ryan. Number two, Matt Stafford. Oh, and, no. um, number three, yeah, Peyton Manning, number three. Ah, forehead. Right. Um, See, so yeah, Matt Ryan. Jeez, that must have been so... Um, yeah, I mean, for those guys that don't know, NFL contracts, there's a lot of ins and outs. There's a lot of clauses that are in there. It, it's not straightforward. Only only get a part of that money guaranteed. And it's a lot less. I mean, I think the biggest contract I've seen in the NFL was when Larry Fitzgerald did, I think, did eight for 120. I mean, you can just work it out using rough math. Eight for 120 million dollars, not pounds. So, I mean, you want to know the dollars. It's, it's about 1.6 dollars to the pound, something like that. Um, yeah. So you can, you can roughly work out. I mean, if you put Hamilton's money 
in dollars, you're looking at over 200. As yeah, opposed, he's, he's joint first in the world. He is joint first in the world on pure salary alone, and you got to remember, Hamilton is the most marketable driver on the planet by by a mile. That nobody comes close. Like yeah, Hamilton, no one, no one comes close in racing. In racing, there is no one to touch him because not only is he well paid, he's a face of Mercedes Benz, which is the second biggest car firm on the planet. He's got red carpet deals, he's got ridiculous fancy deals with, you know, he's on the red carpet, he hangs around with Kanye West, because somebody's got to listen to his new album these days and just <laughs> listening to him talk <laughs> uh, about life and, and, and whatnot, and he's so he's so rich now, Kendall Jenner is now following him around at Monaco, hooray! Oh my um, god, if, if Lewis Hamilton becomes brothers-in-law Kanye West, we'll never hear the end of it. Oh god, we're all doomed! <laughs> The world, the world, like, I will just hate everything on the planet if that ever becomes a thing. Kanye West and Lewis Hamilton, brothers-in-law. That makes <laughs> way too much sense for it to never happen. Go on, Kendall, get in there. <laughs> Set the four horsemen upon us. <laughs> Even though it would be a little bit creepy for 30-year-old Hamilton to hook up with 19-year-old Kendall Jenner. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Nicole was any better. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut it, King. <laughs> that wasn't as big as 11 years. That was, what, like, six, wasn't it? Like, yeah. isn't Nicole, like, 36 now? Lewis is 30? Uh, yeah. When they were a thing. But, you know, obviously a big deal was made about Hamilton becoming single for the 14th time this year. Um, <laughs> essentially. He's going to turn something to Tony Stark of Formula 1 if this keeps up, clearly. Um, he's already got the suit down, I suppose. Um... <coughs> Pardon me, <coughs> but yeah, it is a ridiculous contract. I mean, we've seen. I mean, I thought the Vettel contract was a big deal at five for one twenty-five, and but you look at that's only twenty-five million a year, and there was a big signing bonus on that. Apparently, according to a friend of mine, Vettel got thirty-three million in year one, but that's going to go down as time goes on. And apparently, they chucked in a Ferrari for his dad, which is nice. <laughs> his dad Norbert. Um, so that's a thing. So uh, yeah. Um, Great. Uh, it, it, it is a ridiculous contract. I mean, great for Formula One that, you know, a guy, anybody, is standing out like that that is worth, you know, stupid money as the face of a brand, essentially. But, God, it, it makes your eyes water, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, Lewis right now is, with his new contract gets paid more a year than <coughs> Matter's entire budget, which is, like, on the face of it, really just shows the inequality in Formula One. That is terrifying. Apparently, the entire contract is more than the entire budgets combined of Mana, Sauber, and Force India. So basically, his contract could fund three F1 teams over like over a third of the like a third of the field for a year. Yeah, <laughs> that is terrifying. Quite frankly, he, he could run Mana for, on a on, just on his year salary. And probably give them a pay rise. That that kind of shows how much like money Mercedes is throwing in the Formula One at the moment. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm, Rosberg must be feeling like shit right now because he signed an extension last year. Um, I think it was a rumors are it was a six year extension because Rosberg owes a lot to Mercedes essentially. Um, he cashed in his loyalty checks, so to speak. <laughs> um, but apparently his deal was to match Hamilton's old deal at 22 million a year, <laughs> and Damn. now and now Hamilton's earning more than twice that. 
<laughs> yeah, I bet he just he just rolled up to the negotiating table and probably just said, "I just want to get paid at least more than twice of what Nico gets paid." Yeah, otherwise I'll go to Ferrari next year. <laughs> Which like you don't want you don't want me as your enemy. <laughs> Basically, it, was, it must have been, must have been worse. I mean, Hamilton negotiated that contract himself apparently, which he he basically did a Vettel in that regard because Vettel negotiated the Ferrari deal he got for himself, and Hamilton said, you know, what? I, I was glad I saved my ten percent. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it makes you wonder, as as Will Buxton so eloquently put last year, Fernando must be thinking what his twenty percent pays for. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, terrifying numbers, just ridiculous, and whatnot. So I mean, that's pretty much most of the news we'll t- that, we, that, we, that we're going to cover now. We'll, we'll get to the big one of the regulation changes later on in the show. But let's talk about the Monaco Grand Prix, and uh, obviously I headlined an event of last week, and, and, you know, one half of the, kind of the jewel in the crown of Motorsport Weekend, really, was, you know, this, this is essentially Formula One's Blue Ribbon event, really, with Monaco, it's it's glitzy, it's glamorous, it's friggin' terrible, but it, it's still here, so, you know, it's, it's got to be a thing. But, my God, this race was atrocious for the first what was it, 65 laps of 78? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first 65 laps could be summed up in one sentence. Nothing happened, essentially. Um, the only thing that was really of any newsworthy note was that Vettel tried an undercut on Rosberg in, during the conventional Monaco one-stopper race. Didn't work. Uh, <laughs> didn't work, but Vettel was keeping pace of Rosberg while Hamilton was pulling away into the distance because Hamilton was smacking Rosberg around on his home track, which is... Terrifying, given this is meant to be Rosberg's best track on paper. Um, but yeah, there, it, it was a grand ski. There was a grand scale of nothing much happened in the first 65 laps. I mean, we could talk about it a little bit now. Some of the minor incidents, like Fernando Alonso got a five-second time penalty for colliding with Nico Hulkenberg and pretty much ruining his race before it even got started. Nice. Uh, turn one, at, um, sorry, turn four at Mirabeau um, on the opening lap. Alonso tried a audacious move into Mirabeau. Hulkenberg was very generous in the amount of room he gave him. Uh, almost too generous, I'd argue. And, but then Alonso lost control, hit Hulkenberg's side pod, and replicating F1 2014 side pod glitch, went straight into the wall at Mirabeau, broke his front wing, and his race was effectively over before it even got started. And Alonso on the radio looked confused. As in, apparently, McLaren never told Alonso that he had a five-second time penalty until he actually went into the pits for his only scheduled stop and then waited five seconds and then worked on the car. Alonso asked what was going on, and oh then he said, God. yeah, I said, oh, oh, yeah, by the way, we had a time penalty, by the way, for the hit on Hulkenberg, and, and, like, Alonso called the penalty random after the race, as if he had no idea what he'd done. <laughs> Oh, Fernando. <laughs> <laughs> you're, just, you, you're sounding like Kanye West out there. Yeah, it's like, what, like, what, like, what are you guys talking about? I, I blatantly didn't touch him. And it's like, well, this, is a, this, is, this is vintage Fernando Alonso. He never takes responsibility for anything, Fernando, and gets away with it because he's Fernando Alonso and he's so well-liked in Europe. But, yeah, bonehead pass from, from Alonso totally does If anything, I think that was actually quite a, quite a light penalty considering it completely ruined Hulkenberg's race. 
I thought yeah. Five was actually quite generous, to be <laughs> honest with you. Um, so, you know, I think, Fernando, I think Fernando got lucky on that one, but I guess the great luck gods of karma in the sky came back to haunt him after a brake failure um, ended Alonso's race pretty early. So, ha ha ha. Um, essentially, that was a thing. But that was pretty much the entire first 65 laps of the race in a nutshell. Until Max Verstappen got a little bit too kamikaze on Romain Grosjean. It's like Nico, it's like, it's like Verstappen smelt blood. Like, <laughs> after passing Pastor in the early goings, after Pastor had to retire yet again from a Grand Prix, this time due to a break by wire failure, Pastor could not catch a break. It's like he's repaying his 2012 sins one race at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the race. Like, yeah, go on, Ken. <laughs> it's like, yep, yeah, it's it's never gonna go away. I don't know why he picked a number thirteen. I think he should change his number now. Yeah, it's like, it's like, was he was he dancing with the devil on that one, picking thirteen, thinking, you know what? Maybe if I pick thirteen, the the the, the luck gods will smile on me. Nope. I think he's retired in all but one race so far this season, the poor guy. Yeah. Uh, and I think the funny thing is, I don't think any of them have been his fault either. No. no. <laughs> it's amazing how these things turn out. It's just Pastel just like repaying his 2012 sins one Grand Prix at a time. <coughs> but yeah, later in the race, Max Verstappen tried again a pretty bold move on Romain Grosjean um, going into turn one at Sandovot and... Uh, Max got a bit wrong, drove into the rear tyre of Grosjean and then corrades into the Sandovot barrier at a, a terrifying 177 miles an hour. Um, luckily, because of modern F1, he hit the wall and he was out of the car and he was absolutely fine <laughs> like 10 seconds yeah. later, which is just incredible when you think about it. When he, he, dude, hit a bar, dude hit a barrier at 177 and he's A-OK. <laughs> I mean, that, that barrier really just gave way because there, there's the, the, the massive Tech Pro like line of like four Tech Pro barriers and the Armco behind it. So the, the Tech Pro barrier absorbed most of the impact and the Armco even gave way, like I think about, from what I could tell on camera, like a good four, maybe five feet. And despite that, Max is completely fine. Yay! Yeah, it was basically just a massive cushion. Yeah, that's one big ass cushion for a 177 mile an hour traveling half ton Formula One car. <laughs> but um, yeah, Max couldn't seem like he, again. Max didn't understand how he been how he thought that was his fault. Felipe Massa tried to throw Max under the bus, and because that's what Felipe Massa does, he's bitchy like that. I remember last year when he flipped his car over in Germany and then blamed Kevin Magnussen for it, <laughs> and then uh. said, "And they said, all oh, these GP2 drivers are always doing things like that, even though Kevin Magnussen had never actually raced in GP2." <laughs> well done, Felipe. Nice to see you've done your homework. Um, but yeah, it's Felipe Massa was looking for any opportunity, and then Grosjean came out and said, "Well, passing." Passing at Monaco is an experience. I'm glad Max has now learned that experience. <laughs> like, the old guard is picking on the young un right now after his first mistake of the season, really. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Max was punished for it. He was given a, he's been given a five-place grid drop for the Canadian Grand Prix next weekend. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty fair penalty. I think it was Max Verstappen's fault. The FIA checked the data. They said... I mean, there's, like a, few people, there's, there's a few people that said that Grosjean brake-checked him into third one. They checked the data. No, he didn't. He, he His break-in time was average. Max just went in too hot, basically, more than anything else. He had the DRS boost, obviously, going down the home straight. But he went in too hot, and next thing you know, he's in the barrier. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, um, fair penalty, King? Uh, I'd say it's fair. I'm, uh, I, I just don't get all the arguments saying that, oh, they're only picking on Verstappen because he's 17. I'm like, no, no, you're using that as defense because this is, you know, the world driving championship. Yeah, it's like, seriously, he's in here. Like, you, you want to praise him for his performances one minute and call him the next Ayrton Senna. But at the same time, you don't want to criticise him when he makes a mistake. You can't have it both ways here, media. <laughs> like, I know there was a lot of people that leapt to Max's defence on this one, and it's like, no, Max blatantly got it wrong, and it wasn't even close either. Um, simply put, Max did what every young'un does on a racing game. He didn't judge when the guy broke, and he plowed into the back of him. <laughs> it's like, oh, I, uh, I kind of compare it to this... this joke routine that that Trevor Noah has. Go on. Where where he's talking about his first experience in America with a bad driver and he 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 basically he's telling the story to a friend and how he just ran into this terrible driver and he mentioned, oh this driver happened to be this old Asian lady. And he said and then this then his American friend's like, no, no, you can't say you can't say that 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 she's a bad driver. It's like why? Because she's Asian? Yeah, but she's a bad driver, though. But you can't say that about Asian people, though. <laughs> Stereotype. <laughs> you can't say that about Max. He's Dutch and Belgian and young. It's like, you, you can't say that he's bad because he's young. Yeah, you, you, you can't do that. Because if you do, you play a dangerous double entendre. Because now you've got to praise him whenever he's good, too. And God help us, the media haven't done that enough so far this season. <laughs> like... Despite him making a blatant accident, Autosport Plus have an article saying F1 needs more guys like Max Verstappen. What, so we need more drivers that plow into the back of other cars when they misjudge a passing attempt? Because that's uh, never happened before. <laughs> I, I think they were more on the side that we need, we need more drivers willing to be exciting. Oh, cause that, well, and you know, I don't understand the logic in that because... The thing is, right now, who's our world champion? Lewis Hamilton, a guy that has had a reputation of being the more bold passers in F1 history in recent times. Well, well let's be honest. In, in that in that Mercedes WO5, he doesn't need to be an aggressive passer. He just qualifies high, doesn't have to pass anyone but probably Rosberg, and he wins the race. Yeah, that's the nature of the sport, not on the drivers. So it's exactly. Not, it's not the drivers' fault the sport isn't that exciting. Like, like, seriously, Max's passes have not been that brilliant this year. Most of them have been through DRS zones, and the one time he doesn't, we didn't was on Carlos Sainz in Malaysia, and that time he outbraked himself, and Sainz had to get out of the way, otherwise get plowed on again. Uh, yeah, I mean, don't expect amazing passing when people line up on the grid based on how fast they are. Exactly. God, like, we have to explain this to people, King. <laughs> Apparently we do. But, um, yeah, Max, obviously Max's accident caused the first, the first very brief virtual safety car of the season for a grand total of about 15 seconds before a full safety car was deployed Duh, it's Monaco, um, essentially. So, yeah, we had our first, our first safety car, of, an only safety car of the race, and then all hell broke loose. Um, I've actually found a really good quote from Sasha on this, um, a friend of the show, Sasha Wagonblast. You may have seen him on our F1 preview, a review show for the 2014 season last year. 
and he had the actual quote itself, um, or the team radio discussion when Hamilton went in the pits. He goes, Mercedes went, safety car, safety car, so we are staying out. Hamilton says, and I quote, Are you sure it is the best thing to stay out? These tyres have lost their temperature. Everyone is going to be on options now. Mercedes' response was, Okay, copy, copy, box, box. So... Hamilton pits after having a 23-second advantage because of the virtual safety car. Hamilton pits. He goes out on super soft tyres, but comes out behind Sebastian Vettel's Vettel's Ferrari. As Vettel says itself, it was, thank God for that long nose, Uh, (laughs) essentially, because that's essentially what gave him the edge. And because you cannot pass under a safety car, Hamilton had to give way. Uh, I've never seen a situation like that before, where a guy has come out of the pits side by side of another car during the middle of a safety car period. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've never seen that before, and I've been watching this sport for like 15 years. <laughs> Monaco, baby. <laughs> Monaco, everybody. But as a result, he essentially gifted Nico Rosberg a very straightforward race win after the safety car went out, and because of the nature of Monaco, Hamilton could not pass Sebastian, so in a very Monaco 2011-esque scene, Vettel held off the rampant Hamilton behind him to take second in what was a gift to the Ferrari team, which, which, were, which they were absolutely ecstatic over in getting P2, and the only really happy guy on the podium as Lewis Hamilton came home in third, and then single-handedly pretty much threw his team under the bus afterwards. Yes. Uh, uh, with all the world's media hounding Toto Wolf like he'd just been shot for treason or something. <laughs> with the world's media all came around. Did you, you, you saw Ted Kravitz. Like, when Toto was... Basically attack him. Attack him. Like, Kravitz has done this before. Where like I remember when Williams last year had their team orders thing at Malaysia. <laughs> and I remember Kravitz like like almost pinned Claire Williams against the corner of a microphone and like, How could you do this, Claire? How could you do this? <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus Christ Kra-. like did Kravitz used to work as a judge? <laughs> no idea. Like, was he was he cast in the in the in the show suits? <laughs> To be like a really a- aggressive lawyer, <laughs> like is he the new Phoenix Wright? Because clearly, I, I don't know what he was doing out there, but for, for some reason he was going out of his way to like basically attack him with like you cost Hamilton the win. Why? <laughs> and it was utterly hilarious seeing Kravitz try to be a serious journalist <laughs> while basically. But I have to admit, the unsung hero of the race weekend. Sebastian Vettel. I've always felt that Sebastian Vettel's the best defensive driver at Monaco, and he had one of the best defensive drives I've ever seen at Monaco the past at, at the race, where you have Lewis Hamilton on fresh supersofts, and Seb's just able to just easily, without any effort, keep him behind, and you could tell how fast a Mercedes could be, because you just see Nico Rosberg just go off into the distance, Ros- never to be yeah. seen again. Rosberg was gone. Ferrari, like, <laughs> ha- Vettel admitted, Ferrari are terrible when the tires are cold. And, he- and that was the reason why, despite the first 65 laps, Vettel was able to run side-by-side alongside Rosberg for pretty much the entire Grand Prix, until the safety car. After the safety car, he was gone. Rosberg won the race by, I think, something like six seconds in the end after what was, I think, a, a nine-lap sprint to the finish, basically. So Rosberg was gone at that point, and Hamilton was hungry behind Vettel. He was looking like a dog on heat during the last nine laps of that race, and Vettel was perfect. Placed his car exactly where it needed to be placed, didn't crack, 
under pressure at all. It was a brilliant defensive effort from Vettel. Because it's not impossible to pass around here. It can be done, as Max Verstappen proved. And, yeah. you, you know, <laughs> as, as Sittel's done before, he had that amazing pass on the lines of the Grand Hotel hairpin a couple of years ago. So it can be done around here, when done right. And Carlos Sainz, you know, after starting from the pit lane, finished in 10th. Um, so it can be done. It clearly can be done. So... Yeah. Again, so again, a brilliant performance from from uh, from uh, Vettel behind, and we had drama after the race. Obviously, we we mentioned before about Kravitz and uh, his interrogation of Toto Wolff after the race, which is, there's no other word to describe it. It was an interrogation. Uh, Are Lewis almost doing a setter? Uh, yeah, Lewis almost parking his car outside the tunnel and basically rowing his way back to Stevenage, um, <laughs> essentially. Um, he almost got out of the car, which he can't do because of Park Ferme, which would have been yeah. a nasty fine. Um, yeah. No, no, it wouldn't have been a fine. He would have been disqualified. He wouldn't. He wouldn't wow. have just lost. He would have. He would not have just lost three points to Nico Rosberg. He would have lost all his points to Nico Rosberg. Does, does Hamilton not think about these things? I know other people don't ask if anyone's enemy. Oh. This is a much improved character from Hamilton compared to four years ago. Yeah, four no. years ago we played the fucking race card, okay? Like, it's, like, it's only up from there, really. Because <laughs> I, I think they mentioned it on Team Radio, but they only got the team side of the part where, where his engineer says, okay, Lewis, I'm going to talk, talk it over at the pit wall. And basically, apparently, the pit wall just said, no, Lewis, you can't do that because you'll get disqualified. Yeah, like, don't be stupid, Lewis. Like, seriously, like... Lewis was going to throw his 15 points away out of sheer petulance if that had kept up. And not to mention, after he got his third place trophy, he went in to go straight off the podium, wasn't willing to be talked to, no champagne spraying. He was out of there. He had to be talked (laughs) back to the podium by, I think, Mercedes, one of their Mercedes technical guys who was on the podium to collect the Constructors trophy. So, like, he had to talk him back onto going on the stage. And, yeah, it was kind of really awkward. Like, Rosberg celebrating, which, which of course, he had every right to do. I mean, people were criticizing me on Twitter for, like, oh, Rosberg shouldn't celebrate. He was lucky. Fuck you. Like, seriously. Dude's won the Monaco Grand Prix. Let the man celebrate. Split. Stop splitting hairs, okay? I mean, the things that have been said on Twitter have just oh, been, oh my god. AIDS. <laughs> Magic Johnson level of AIDS. I'm it's telling like- well, when Nico, I mean, when Lewis went to Mercedes, I wanted to believe that he was a changed person. It's like, of course, Nico's still my favorite driver, but it's of like, course. maybe I could just, you know, not dislike Lewis. This race weekend just told me Lewis is still the same old Lewis. Yeah, he's not changed a bit, people. Like, like he had to be talked into everything he did. If he, if he had his own way... He'd have gotten out of the car outside of the tunnel, and he'd have been gone. He would not have gone the podium. He would not have collected his trophy. He would not have sprayed any champagne, and he'd have probably thrown a hissy fit with his brother after. Yeah, the he race. would. He would not even have had that, you know, team debrief with Nico afterwards with with the him and Toto. Yeah, he would have went straight home. He'd have gone home. He'd, he'd gone full Kimi Raikkonen, and you see him on the yacht in the middle of the Grand Prix after the race. <laughs> like he'd have been gone. So please, people on Ask FM, do not try and tell me that Hamilton is an improved character because he isn't. He was just talked into not throwing away 15 points like a friggin' Wally. So yeah, essentially, don't get me wrong. Hamilton had a right to be upset, but at the same time. You've got to realise Hamilton was mostly responsible for this. Nobody put a gun to Lewis's head and told him to pit. 
He yeah, made I mean, the he made a conscious decision to pit. So I put more of the blame on Hamilton than I do with Mercedes. I know Mercs have been very good in taking the rap for this on Twitter. And I feel bad for them because they've taken a ton of abuse in the last week since this race has taken place. Yeah, uh, one thing in the transcript that you read out earlier is that it doesn't record the pause between Lewis asking to pit <clears> and them replying because, yeah, they wanted him to stay out. Lewis suggested, let's pit. So they're like, okay, well, they ran the quick calculations. Obviously, there was a software glitch somewhere in timing, and they thought it was okay. So they're like, okay, Lewis, come fit. It's one of those things where Mercs on any other race would get away with that because it's Mercedes and they're so fast. But Sebastian Vettel has been so good this season He's essentially given Mercedes no room for strategical mess-ups. That's how he won in Malaysia, essentially. And that's how he got this second place now, because he basically put Rosberg into a corner. But when he, yeah. when he, when he did the undercut um, during the race earlier on, he forced Rosberg to come in afterwards. Otherwise, they were going to give up second, because, simply put, you cannot give up track position at Monaco. That's the number one golden rule of Monaco. Never give yeah. up track position. <laughs> But I mean, I, I kind of put this like I wouldn't blame Lewis or the team or anything. It was a perfect storm. It was a series of unfortunate mm. events within which, on their own, would be irrelevant to the outcome of the race. But yeah. they just happened to come together in a certain pattern that completely screwed them over. Yeah, and it made them say these are like they're the antichrist and, and and biased and German driver, German team and all all, all, all that good stuff. But you know, it, it was it really was a perfect storm. That's, that's the best way I've seen anybody describe it since it's happened. It was a perfect storm of bullshit that happened to Mercedes. <laughs> a technical error mixed with a strategic error mixed with Hamilton basically putting his foot in his mouth essentially. Um, like, his- uh, I, I've seen people say that this is bad for the sport. And I, I I lost my mind. <laughs> this is brilliant for the sport. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's like... It's put Vettel back in title contention again. <laughs> like, no, like uh, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. It was a particular Australian Formula One podcast that I had a discussion with about how they said this is terrible for the sport. I'm like, no. Mm. No, no, no one said the, the miracle on ice was terrible because the Soviets were stupid enough to pull their star goalkeeper to give the Americans a chance to win. No. <laughs> That's essentially what this was. It's not bad for the sport that Mercedes was taken down a peg again. <laughs> yes. Don't we want more competition? Sebastian Don't we Vettel, want? Sebastian Vettel coming in second took three points out of Hamilton's championship advantage, and all of a sudden, he's only 28 points off the top again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's essentially yeah. You know, he's only eighteen. He's, he, yeah, he lost five. He lost seven points to Rosberg because Rosberg won the race. But it's bunched the three of them back together again. There's only a ten point gap between Hamilton and Rosberg, and Vettel is is flying with ninety eight points. Fun fact: that's twenty six points more than anything Fernando Alonso had at Ferrari after six races. Oh my god! <laughs> is, is, is any is anyone out there still want to tell me that Fernando Alonso had nothing to do with Ferrari being crap for for a good few years? <laughs> no, didn't think <laughs> <No>. so. <laughs> That's a thirty eight point advantage on his own teammate Kimi Raikkonen, who finished in sixth. Does anybody still want to argue with me about Sebastian Vettel? Because if you do, I will fight you on the side of the street. <laughs> <laughs> 
enough. The, the, the man is still probably the best driver in Formula One, and he's now taking up that Alonso role of critical underdog. <laughs> and, we, and now everybody likes him again, which is hilarious. <laughs> it's like, I told you so, guys. <laughs> I told you so. But, but uh. um, yeah, like, why did we still go to Mon Monaco King? Like, seriously, it's... That was going to be a, a 2 out of 10 race until the last nine laps, and even then I only gave it a four. It was still a dreadful race. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tradition. It's it's tradition. Unfortunately, it's become a rather bad one, but it's still a tradition. Fuck still tradition! Why, still why <laughs> England decided to name the new National Stadium Wembley. They didn't have to, but they did. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I, I could just go on a rant about I can go explain in excruciating detail about why Monaco used to be great and how it's not even Monaco's fault why it isn't great anymore. Trust me, you don't want to hear this rant. I've already had to live for it once. It's pretty painful. That was only the shortened version. That was only like just the basic of why the race is boring. Yeah, like me and Zara on Twitter got the short version of said rant. I know you've got more in the arsenal, King. <laughs> Also, yeah. I, also, I don't want to put half of my 14 listeners to sleep during this. So, <laughs> I'm taking no chances on this one. <laughs> but, essentially, I don't think you need King to tell you that this race sucks. And anyone that still thinks we should be going here should be shot and have their F1 license revoked, quite frankly. Because Monaco is terrible. Last year's race was a fluke. And we have to stop going here. Immediately. <laughs> like, give me Azerbaijan. It can't be as bad as this. <laughs> it's like, I know... Like, I know Monaco's a bad race, but I kind of want Monaco to stay. Why? I don't know, tradition, man, tradition. Fuck tradition and fuck you. <laughs> this, this has got to go. <laughs> this, this has also been the naughtiest podcast you've ever done to this date, and now you've got my dander up, King. Look what you've gone and done. <laughs> this is worse than when David Croft calls Felipe Nazar Fred. Like, oh, God. And that's bad enough. <laughs> Crofty should be shot in the leg for that one, too. And then, like, after that race, and after the, all the controversy, and after the Hamilton press conference that revealed it was partially his fault, like, and I was like, oh, God, ask Crofty is coming. And I'm like, no, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but, like, ask Crofty always ends up retweeting the most ignorant of fucking questions every every time there's a Grand Prix weekend without fail it's either really it's, it's really obvious it's either really obvious questions or really stupid ones because 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 if you're not in you know that blissed ignorance either chosen or just happened you just happen to just be there <laughs> yeah if, if if you're not in that category you're not gonna tweet to ask crofty yeah, like, you can't ask, like, ask Crofty is not for rational questions, it's for idiots to get five minutes of attention, and for David Croft to look like he's some kind of god <laughs> on Twitter, that, you know, some oracle of knowledge that knows everything when he's just a loudmouth British commentator who's annoying during races and gets people, gets people confused and makes stupid like, mistakes during play-by-play. -play. <laughs> it's like, when it comes to Formula 1 knowledge, Crofty is basically at, like, basic level of anyone in the paddock. Yeah, like, like the amount of times that Martin Rundle has to correct him during a race weekend, like, it's at least two dozen. <laughs> uh. Simply put. But, yeah, we could go about Sky's coverage all day long. That was actually one of their better races for once, Sky. Actually gave time to Rosberg. They had him 
on, on the panel after the race. They interviewed him. Rosberg was very kind in, in, in his in his comments. There was actually there was handshakes all round, and it was all chummy for once. And they weren't completely obsessed with Hamilton, even yeah, though they, I mean... they, they, they only had the Hamilton part of the press conference afterwards, which was freaking stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the the the, the indoor press conference is usually only meant for the written press anyway, but. Mm. Aside from that, I knew that entire tone was going to be different for the race weekend because you were there. The first, the, the first five seconds of of Sky's qualifying coverage just said it all. They kind of ex- they expected Nico Rosberg to win. Yeah, it's like, well, this is the one race that Rosberg's really good around, and I'm like, yay, actual narrative rather than just Hamilton wins. Lol. Uh. Yeah, because number one, Rosberg's re- very dominant around Monaco. Number two. Him winning that weekend was going to make history. Yep. Rosberg became just the fourth driver ever to win three consecutive Monaco's. Yeah. So, yeah, that, which is basically a golden carrot in the first place and an easy hook line to get behind Rosberg for a Grand Prix weekend. Don't worry, guys. Normal service will be resumed at Canada, which is, which I believe is Hamilton's favorite track, which. Oh boy, uh, Hamilton's going to take, a, take his revenge out on us and win the race by half a minute. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it, it, the, the Canadian Grand Prix is essentially, I, I can see why it's Lewis's favorite track. Number one, he's very good around there. Number two, it's a, essentially like the, the Northeastern USGV. Exactly. Yeah, we'd have all the American fans coming up for Hamilton and the Mercedes team during the Grand Prix weekend, and that would be simply delightful. Right, full run now to the Grand Prix, um, just just before we move on to the Indy 500. Obviously, Rosberg getting the win. Sebastian Vettel, the only happy driver on the podium in second place. He was very happy about it. Thumbs up and everything, trolling Martin Brundle, because somebody had to lighten the tone after a very black Grand Prix, um, essentially. Hamilton in third. Then the Red Bulls, to everybody's surprise. Daniel Kvyat finishing ahead of his teammates for the second time this season. Um... Fourth place for the look of it. A career high finish for the young Russian, uh, who's just obviously talked as 21 years old. Ahead of Daniel Ricciardo, who had quite the war with Kimi Raikkonen during the Grand Prix. Raikkonen even turned it in on him uh, later on in the Grand Prix in that last little splash for the cash at the end there. Um, no further action taken by the stewards. Probably the right call. No harm, no foul, really. Just a bit of a mistake from Kimi. No big deal. Um, Ricciardo in fifth, ahead of Kimi Raikkonen in sixth place. Then we have Sergio Perez, who had a very good weekend um, in seventh place there. J- matching Force India's best result of the season so far. And the first time Sergio Perez has actually scored points at Monaco in his career. Um, he had a very quiet weekend, but qualified in seventh, finished in seventh. And for Force India, that's a great result for them, given their current situation. They'll gladly take that one, I believe. Jensen Button, McLaren are off the mark! <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah! <laughs> McLaren have points. Jensen Button in eighth place for McLaren. A great result for J- for JB, and I'm very glad it was JB to score f- those points instead of that pillar Alonso. Quite, <laughs> quite frankly, um, so I'm I'm glad it was Jensen that scored the first points of the of the year for the McLaren team. As Kevin Manison said yesterday, they they've got a long way to go yet. They know they do, but 
four points, you know, they'll, they'll gladly take that. I mean, they must have thought that day was never going to come at one point. After all those reliability problems they've had all season long, um, they'll take that and obviously build from there. Uh, Felipe Nazza, good points again for this, for, for Salva in ninth there for Felipe. Again, another very quiet but efficient first Monaco out in, in Formula One for Felipe. And Carlos Sainz Jr., who started from the pit lane after missing the Weybridge in qualifying, a point for Toro Rosso. Well done, sir. <laughs> Excellent performance. Just finishing ahead of Nico Hulkenberg in 11th. And Romain Grosjean still recovering from that spin and not being salty about it on Twitter or anything. So, after that terrible Monaco Grand Prix, let's talk about the Indy 500. <laughs> My gosh. Oh, the real show. The real show of the Sunday night in uh, in, in May last, or last weekend. Uh, it was a brilliant Indy 500 I must say and um, it was my first time I've watched it properly as a fan there's a video of mine on my YouTube channel um, Drakey, which went up literally about two minutes before I started this recording um, talking about my first Indy 500 experience and what I thought about it and thought, overall thought it was a, you know, a, a, a really fun really fun race um, there was obviously there were a lot of controversy um, regarding that regarding that Grand Prix um, obviously before before we even started um and yeah, first of all, the Chevy Aero Kits. And yeah, simply put, these Aero Kits, for, for the Oval specifically, seem to lift their cars upwards in the air um, when traveling backwards. So if a driver spun it, which is quite likely indeed, given how fast you're, you mean, you're looking at 225, 230 miles an hour when going into a corner, um, if you spin out, the aero kit would flip you backwards and obviously be all kinds of dangerous. As Helio Castroneves, Ed Carpenter and Joseph Newgarden all found out in practice. Um, as a result, we had a situation where IndyCar called a crisis meeting and banned qualifying boost speeds for qualifying itself. You had to qualify on your race boost settings and only one-shot qualifying as opposed to the normal overcomplicated procedure, which doesn't need to be explained for the sake of my sanity. It, uh, it's just it's just open quality for the entire day. It's, yeah. it's pretty simple. Shut up, King. <laughs> <laughs> one-shot sounds better. <laughs> Marketing. <laughs> but, yeah, essentially put, yeah, they had, they had to go on race boost for qualifying. One-shot qualifying. Um... For the on the Saturday night before the uh, race itself, and uh, yeah, as a result, uh, we had Scott Dixon on pole ahead of Will Power, and uh, was it Simon Pagano on the front row for Team Penske? So Penske taking two and three in the Australasia special front row uh, with uh, New Zealand and uh, Australia on the front, and it was we had 33 cars run, and uh, yeah, I mean it was it was all over the place IndyCar during that practice week, wasn't it? Yeah, it was it was insanity. It was insanity. We had my colleagues at Downforce going absolutely bonkers, um, thinking, "Oh, is IndyCar too dangerous again?" And I'm like, oh, for God's sake, really. And I'm like, don't get, get me wrong. I, I I work and I endorse Downforce Radio. I work with them a lot of the time. It doesn't mean I endorse all of their shit sometimes. Okay, <laughs> like. Like, it's like, you, like you don't need to sit down and tell me that IndyCar is all of a sudden too dangerous. And it's like, people, we're racing at 230 miles an hour regardless. Please tell me how safe that is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I love what Sebastian Bourdain said. It's like, number one, 
Motorsports always going to be dangerous. Number two, what makes you think racing at 230 miles an hour is ever going to be dangerous, or even 200 miles an hour? Yeah, like, in motorsport terms, anything beyond 50, quite frankly, could be classed as dangerous. So, I don't quite see the difference between 50 and 250, quite frankly. Once you get beyond that threshold, okay, all kinds of funky shit can happen, quite frankly. So, the argument of, oh, it's always going to be, uh, uh, oh, yeah, oh, now it's too dangerous because a few cars flipped over. No! <laughs> I think you're missing the point. But, you know, because because media need a story, they had to go a little bit overboard on this one. And it was a shame for Honda because their cars were proven to already be safe. Um, and they didn't have a problem with their kits all weekend, but that was probably the best case scenario given the situation. It's like, proven safe, I don't think it works that way. You're, 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 you're safe until proven unsafe as the Chevy is. (laughs) As the, as the Chevy proved, like, the car is unsafe, always. Yeah, it's like, well, Pippa Man's car didn't flip over when she spun out, but it's like, well, the Hondas must be safe then. But yeah, it's a very good point, and the Hondas didn't have an accident like that, but just because they didn't have an accident like that doesn't mean their cars were automatically safer than Chevy's. We just didn't see an example of it during that practice week. It was just the coincidence of three Chevrolets having a big accident, so to speak, and obviously... I think the organizers panicked a little bit. I mean, turning the the cars down for qualifying it really isn't that big a deal. It's just people want to see speed records broken more than anything else. So they all went a little bit crazy over things like that. But yeah, you know, there, it, there's it, a reason why qualifying at Indianapolis has always been its own separate event to the race. Exactly because they they turn it up even more for qualifying. So yeah, you know, serious big deal where that's concerned. But yeah, you know, not really a big deal at all. So that was a thing, and what made it even worse was the thing the day after this was announced, James Hinchcliffe, uh, our personal hero and endorser of the podcast, um, um, you know, my personal hero now as well, because he's the most charismatic racing driver on the planet, bar none, <laughs> the mayor of Hinchtown had a awful, awful accident where part of his suspension broke and punctured his cockpit, basically skewering him in the leg via a piece of suspension, which is just just sounds utterly horrific. Um Hinch was simply put lucky to be alive, quite frankly. If the if the response team did not get there fast enough, Hinchcliffe could have died in the car due to the sheer amount of blood loss. To put that shit into perspective for you, basically. Um so awful accident. Hinch had to go to hospital, was operated on, given the accident. But turns out he's okay. Um, he's perfectly safe, he'll make a full recovery and he'll return to the series down the road somewhere. Thank God he was okay, because, like, like I said, five minutes later he probably would have been a dead man, quite frankly. And that would have been just utterly tragic. But um, a shame we didn't have the golden number five Schmidt-Peterson car out there with Hinch in the car. We had Ryan Briscoe for it instead. But just an awful IndyCar experience, really, for Schmidt-Peterson on the day, given what will happen to Connor Daly. We'll get to that in a bit. But, yeah, just an awful accident, King, for, for the Hinch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it was awful. Luckily, IndyCar was able to come up with a quick fix that works to avoid any future moments where the suspension is actually able to penetrate the cockpit. 
Yeah, so thank God that was all sorted out. And uh, yeah, Hinch is fine. For those who haven't seen the news already, he's had, he's had a couple of Instagram posts up. He was pictured being wheeled out of hospital yesterday by none other than current IndyCar champion Will Power, which basically looks like he's going to a mental asylum, which is hilarious and it's alright because it's Hinchcliffe. And if you haven't already, I highly recommend you listen to the Hinchtown Mayor on Air podcast. It's half an hour episodes with other IndyCar drivers. And as a new fan like me... It's a must-listen to, because if you want to get to know some of these personalities a little bit more in IndyCar, I highly recommend you listen to it, because Hinch is a great interviewer. He genuinely is. He's, he's very, very funny, very genuine, very charismatic, and he gets along very well with a bunch of guys. He's already had um, Ed Carpenter, Helio Castroneves, Simon Pagano, and Joseph Newgarden was the first episode. So I highly recommend that if you haven't already. And if you're new to IndyCar, definitely give it a listen. Worth a listen to. Um, get well soon, Hinch. Obviously, he'll be back in the car sooner rather than later. Um, and and obviously, yeah. Uh, get well soon, Hinch, obviously. Um, yeah. Um, I, I can honestly never imagine any of the Formula One guys able to even get together to do a podcast. Yeah, I can't even imagine that. But in IndyCar, it's like, it's like they're all one big family over there. I think it's great. I like, I love IndyCar. IndyCar's got so much more characters in it than, than Formula One. It's refreshing to have, like, Helio's got all this charisma, being the Dancing with the Stars guy, and, you know, he's... He's like they, 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 on this on this episode of the Mayor on Air, basically they call him the Fonz of IndyCar. <laughs> <laughs> hey. That's so true, though. <laughs> he is the Fonz of IndyCar, and it, it it was a perfect analogy. I'm like, that's it, that's the one, that's it right there. And yeah, it's absolutely true. I learned a lot about Simon Pagano on his episode of the, of the podcast, where you know he, he is very French. <laughs> <laughs> He is extremely French. He's open to the, he's open to the idea of smoking weed. He's excellent at naming and not naming fake Canadian cities. And he basically was asked a great ask um, ask Pagano question of Has a girl ever tried to get you to date them wearing just your helmet and nothing else? <laughs> oh my god. Sea King, now you got to listen to that podcast because I've just told you that. <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to tell you what Pagano's response was to that, but it was pretty funny. Um, so if you haven't subscribed to the Hinchtown podcast, do it. It's the Mayor on Air. It's on iTunes. You have no excuse. And tell him I sent you, um, so to speak. So that's, a, that's my shameless loving for James Hinchcliffe out of the way, uh, who's my new favorite driver outside of Formula One, <laughs> so to speak. Um, let's talk about the other uh, favorite uh, driver and the other half of the dream team that Schmidt Peterson put together um, for the Indy 500, and that was Connor Daly. And after working so hard to get that Indy 500 drive, after a year and a half of drumming together enough funds to get a seat, and after you know racking up all that money, doing all those extracurricular races. And after all of that for one race, a fuel cell leak put him out of the running before the race even started, and I was just utterly devastated. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was sad to see. He, he honestly did not want to get out of that flaming car. No, it's like, I'm staying here, damn it. Uh, Fix this damn thing. I want to race. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we saw Hinch's car driven by Briscoe was also out by the first corner, so it was a bad day for Smith-Peterson overall. Yeah, and James Jakes did, wasn't, was not competitive at all during the race as well. So just a terrible weekend for the most charismatic team in racing to have James Jakes, Hinchcliffe have that awful injury. Ryan Briscoe struggled along. I think he finished in 12th in the end. Um, as a, as a, as a full result there, and James Jake's struggling. Uh, he's not really an oval guy, so 
yeah, just a terrible weekend for Schmidt Peterson more than anything else. But uh, getting onto the race itself, Juan Pablo, everybody, <laughs> 15 years in the making, Juan Pablo wins the Indy 500 after getting knocked to the back of the field after being lazily tagged by Simona de Silvestro. Now, we endorse Simona on our shows, but girl, this is the second time this season you've bumped into somebody else and almost taken them out of a race. Like you did it to James Jakes at St. Petersburg, <laughs> and now you've done it to Monty at the Indy 500. What is wrong with you, girl? Get, like, it, toge- get, get it together. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing out there? Are you just like, just, you know, just focusing on the next corner and just not realize that, yeah, there's a car a bit closer in front of oh. you than normal. She was clearly playing Angry Birds in her car at, at the time <laughs> of the accident. Like That's the only logical explanation for this. But yeah, a bit of lazy driving from Simone, of course, that Montoya had to take a pit stop to, to install the new rear ring on the car. But he motored through the field, took advantage of the, of the, of the cautions, uh, got into that leading pack, and then well, after the huge accident towards the end with, um, I think it was Sebastian Saavedra, Stefano Coletti, and I'm missing the name... Jack I want to say, yeah, Hawksworth. It was Hawksworth. There we go. Um, it, and after Hawksworth, they had that massive free car accident. I think it was, it was after Pagano had the broken front wing, and everybody was trying to take evasive action. Um, yeah. And then like, it was like, this is going to end in tears for somebody. And next thing you know, three cars are poking out of the wall. Um, well, where, where to go, Simon? Where to go? <laughs> I mean, that accident wasn't even actually his fault. That happened no. further back than where he was. Yeah, that's crazy. It's like, I'm just going to blame Simon Pagano for that one because I can, quite frankly. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Pagano um, was going to win that race, goddammit. Yeah, like, and for those of us that don't know, we all took bets before the race started. I bet Will Power, and he came in second, which obviously was doubly annoying for me, quite frankly, because I thought, Power's shit round overs, but I think he, he like, it looked like he'd actually put something together quite well this this this, this Sydney 500 weekend, and I thought he, he looked strong, and I thought he might just get it, and his defensive driving in the last 15 laps was fantastic, and he nearly yeah. got away with it, and, I'm, <laughs> and then Monty beat him, and then I'm like, frick! Uh, so beaten by Monty wasn't a good thing, and I know you went for Pagano, and yeah. Pagano looked fast the entire race. He looked really good in that. He, was, he looked like he was the fastest Penske by a mile, quite frankly. So, because Helio wasn't competitive, Power was slipping a little bit here and there, and Montoya was all over the place until the last 15 laps. And Charlie Kimball was there just trolling everybody in third. <laughs> uh, like, if like, Kimball won it, oh my god. We'd have, we'd have all, we'd have all lost our damn minds. Like, what the hell is Kimball doing up here? And we all thought we had to stop again, and it turns out, he timed it absolutely perfectly when the pit lane was open to get, effectively get a free pit stop at the front. <laughs> and, yeah, it was a brilliant bit of... I, I I'm not sure how much Charlie Kimball knew about that. <laughs> it, was, it was a bit of that Andretti just canivery where it's like, they can just plant it just right. They did, and Kimball, as a result, got a third to his credit for it. So, yeah, a fantastic result for Charlie Kimball. Um, I think he'd gladly take that. Um, Kimball said after the race he was hoping that the, the Penske's would take each other out <laughs> <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, so, yeah, it's just a very un- a little bit unlucky for Kimball, but a great result. I think he'll take a... F- I think if somebody told him before the race, oh, you'll finish third, I think he'd have taken it, quite frankly. Because I don't yeah. think Kimball was ever up there, really. So for Kimball to get third was a great result for him. Um, Scott Dixon was in fourth, and Dixon... Um, 
led the most number of laps, which doesn't really mean anything in the in Indy yeah, 500. I, I think he's like fifth all time now with like most laps led, and I think he may be like number one overall with most laps led without a win. But hasn't he won the Indy 500 though? Oh yeah, we went through this in the Skype chat. He won like in 2004, and I just forget about it. Yeah, to be fair, <laughs> it was a long time ago. So, like, um, so yeah, essentially, I, I totally get that. But yeah, he led 84 out of the 200 laps and came in fourth. Poor fella. Um, yeah, I know leading laps at Indy doesn't really mean too much, but you know. That was a thing. Um, so, yeah. yeah. You know, they're saying <laughs> the most important lap to lead is the last one. Uh, funny. Right, so, yeah. So, yeah, Montoya from Power in second. The third closest winning margin in Indy 500 history. Just one-tenth of a second between Montoya and Power over the line. Charlie Kimball in third. Scott Dixon fourth. Graham Rahal, top Honda finisher in fifth place. Well done, Graham Rahal. He's having a real good run of form lately in IndyCar. So, Rahal right up there again in fifth place. Ahead of Marco Andretti, the curse continues, in sixth. Helio Castroneves in seventh. J.R. Hildebrand had a quite a late surge to finish in eighth in the end. Just ahead of Joseph Newgarden in ninth. And Simon Pagano had to recover after breaking his front wing with about 20 laps to go. Still finished in 10th. So, yeah, Pagano really did have a lot of speed there. Led 35 laps during the race as well. Running around the rest of the field real quick. Borde 11th. Brian Briscoe eventually limped home in 12th. Takuma Sato in 13th after causing a hellacious accident on the opening corner of the Indy 500 by taking out Sage Karam by trying to go around the outside of him. Takuma, what are you doing? <laughs> being Sato. Sato being Sato. It's like, Sato, you're meant to save the Kamikaze move for lap 200, not lap 1. <laughs> um... Everyone's favourite flat cap wearer, Townsend Bell in 14th place, ahead of Ryan Hunter-Ray, who was never really in, in the hunt, the, the last year's winner, in 15th place. I'm surprised he was that far down the order. I think he was very unlucky in terms of the, the cautions. I think he pitted about a lap before the caution flag went out, which was just awful timing for Ryan Hunter-Ray more than anything else, because it just demoted him to the back like that straight away. Poor guy. Gammy Chavez in 16th place. Alex Tagliani in 17th ahead of James Jakes in 18th. Simona in 19th, you lazy bum. Carlos Munoz in 20th. Justin Wilson fell down the order right at the end there with a late pit stop in 21st and nearly completely scuppered Will Power's race on the final lap, which would have been just sheer chaos. Um, so Wilson in 21st. Pippa Man was the last of the finishers in 22nd place and raised over $60,000 for the Susan G. Conan Breast Cancer Awareness Campaign. So well done, Pippa, where that's concerned. Lost of the finishers in 22nd place. I think it's still the best finish in an indie, so well yeah. done, Pip. Well done, Pips. Um, and all the guys that didn't run, Sebastian Saavedra, Jack Hawksworth, and Stefano Coletti all had that big accident with 25 to go. Tony Kanan was right up the front. Um, for a good chunk of the race, led 30 laps as well. The two Chip Ganassi cars working together there until one half turn of downforce later and two wheels on the paint. And next thing you know, Tony Kanan's in the wall. Um, yeah. <laughs> poor Tony. Um, so that was a thing. Davison and Vortier had mechanical problems. Oriel Servia was taken out by Ed Carpenter getting a little bit too racy with 88 laps to go. And I'm like, Ed! That's a ra that's a move you pull on the final lap. It was he was trying to be Ryan Hunter Ray again, basically. Yeah, Ed's Don't always so desperate to win this race. 
And I know Ed's, I think Ed's on what, like, like, I think, what, two Indy 500 poles, Ed, hasn't he? Yeah. And there's not almost won a couple of times, and yeah, poor guy. Can't catch a break. Um, as, as we so eloquently named him on our Skype call during the race, the charity case, Brian Clawson in 31st, uh, uh, just ahead of Sage Karam, who was taken out on lap one, and Connor Daly, who didn't even make the green flag. Boo-hoo. Um, but yeah, yeah. What, what do you make of Monty then, getting his second IndyCar 500 win, uh, Indy 500 win in, after 15 years after the first one? It's the longest distance ever between two IndyCar victories by the same driver. I mean, it's, it's great to see Monty back on top. No one's, it's like he may have gotten a couple boos at the start, but by the time the race was over, it was all cheers. Yeah. I think I love about IndyCar, I love the driver intros. That's like, that's like such an American thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's such a pro wrestling thing, so I can't help but love it. Because it's like, oh, and here's the full IndyCar grid. And it's like they have creative intros for everybody. It's awesome. And then Montoya, of course, being the panto villain of IndyCar, being the series betrayer by going to <laughs> Formula One, he's still being booed a decade later, which I think is just hilarious. <laughs> Monty is still not a very liked man. <laughs> oh dear. But yeah. uh, he turned them around after he won it, and then, you know, he had the nice shot of him taking a selfie with the family and the kids drinking the milk and, oh, you know, big family and whatnot. And uh, yeah, I, I, even I was happy for Monty, even though I wasn't bitter about Will Power not winning at all. Because you know, if Will had won, there would have been some audacious celebration, which would have been hilarious. Oh god. His, his wife chewing on a water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> That's just forever in my mind. Only in Indy 500 do you get two wags watching the Grand Prix on side-by-side -side cameras during the last two laps, having side-by-side -side views of Scott Dixon's wife and then Will Power's wife on side-by-side -side camera shots. America, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it's like it's like you have you have. Mrs. Power just just chewing on a water bottle, and you have Emma Davies Dixon just trying to go into the fetal position. Yeah, going to the fetal I can't watch. <laughs> and like, it's like to be fair, that was me on the final two laps as well, so I can't really complain because if okay, I wouldn't recommend the entire race, but if you get to the last fifteen laps when the green flag goes out for the last sprint finish to the line. Go watch it. It's utterly thrilling. I know Zara tweeted me saying, oh, but it's just, isn't it just three hours of slipstreaming? Yeah, but it's three hours of fun. Uh, <laughs> Quite frankly. Like, you, you say it's just slipstreaming, but people don't realize International Motor Speedway isn't a wide place. It is hard to get around people. Yeah, it's not, it's not straightforward to pass people there and, yeah, you know, I, I was hoping Powell was going to win because he pulled off some great passes as well. He, he loved that outside pass into turn, into turn <laughs> three and turn one. He loved that all race long, and his, he, he did a really good job at the front. And it's nice to see that the, the new aero kits did give leading cars a chance to defend rather than just being a sitting duck on the, yeah. on, on like, like in NASCAR, for instance. So I'm very glad the aero kits at least made it a more competitive front-running field where you could lead from the front if it came down to it. Um, so I'm very glad of that regard. And overall, I really enjoyed the Indy 500. So, you know, if you haven't seen it, the whole thing is already on YouTube. You can go check it out. IndyCar has no problem with people taking their footage because, yay, highlights. Yeah, they're eventually going to post the entire thing in 1080p, so it'll be there. Gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, uh, there's two corrections to make. Earlier, I mentioned that... <laughs> <laughs> that Charlie Kimball was an Andretti driver mistake. Whoops. 
Because <laughs> when you when you said that, oh, that Grand Rayhall was the highest running Honda. It's like doesn't Kimball drive for <laughs> drive for Andretti? He's like, no, he 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 drives for Ganassi. I just keep keep forgetting that because he's not in the Ganassi target red. Or the Ganassi target blue, for that matter. And then when you mentioned that Dixon, <laughs> when when Dixon had one in five hundred before, I said he won in two thousand four. No, that was two thousand eight. Yeah. See, we've already got corrections and clarifications on the podcast. Like this is now. Is this our new running gimmick? We, 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 we correct ourselves from the previous episode. Stop slacking, King. <laughs> hey, I'm doing it faster now. It's like five minutes afterwards. Yeah, well done. But yeah. If you haven't seen it already, and if you really can't help it, the whole thing is on YouTube, but IndyCar, I'm sure, will post the whole thing up anyway, because it's too big a spectacle for them not to, and they don't mind people taking their footage, because, hey, it's free marketing. We like yeah. that. It's the Adam Silver approach to, to, to sports marketing. <laughs> this is why we like you, Adam Silver. <laughs> yeah, so, someone gets a knee to the head, and it's on, it's on Vine, like, five minutes later. Love it. <laughs> That's how you do it. That's how you do sports, Formula One. <laughs> That's how you do sports. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen it already, go check it out. It was a very fun race. Um, I highly enjoyed it, and I think you guys probably will too. So, if you haven't already, it's on YouTube in full. Just search it up. 2015 Indy 500. You'll be fine. And, uh, yeah, look, looking forward to the double duel at Detroit this weekend. That should be fun. So yeah. how does it, how does, it, does the double actually work, King? Because I'm not sure on this one. I know it's two races. Is it two races in one day, or uh, how does it work? Two races, two separate days. They're both the same distance. Just run one on Saturday, one on Sunday. There are two different qualifying sessions, so it's essentially two separate races, but on one weekend. Cool. Looking forward to that. Double the double the Indy car, double the action. Um, <laughs> yeah, stealing King such phrases. So yeah, that, that's going to be fun. Looking forward to that. Um, yeah, and obviously Connor Daly will be filling in for Hinchcliffe. So yay, fueled yeah. by Bacon, we'll be back. Uh, chance to prove himself again because Long Beach wasn't enough apparently, even though he was the highest placed gainer in positions in the field that day. Uh. It's like it's going to be interesting for IndyCar. So IndyCar, because after this, I think it's. Detroit, then Toronto, then that's when we get into oval season. I Woo! as much as, as much as people say, oh, there's so many ovals in the car. No, there are vastly more road courses than ovals. Yeah, we're not we're not we're not there yet when it comes to oval dominance just yet. So we'll, we'll ignore that. But yeah, enough about IndyCar. Let's move back to Formula One and let's talk about regulations. That highly exciting part, but it actually means something for once. So yeah, let's talk about the regulation changes real quick. Um, the FIA had their strategy group meeting two weeks ago today, and the day afterwards they released the press the press release that they came out with on uh, May 15th, and here's what it says, and I quote, <clears throat> and, a bit, and this is in big capital letters here, Formula One plans faster cars and thrilling races. That's a good start, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll go on. It goes on to say, the Formula One strategy group met yesterday in Biggin Hill, Great location. To exchange views on the current challenges that F1 faces. Besides the statutory members of the group, representatives of the engine manufacturers were also invited. The strategy group members have debated a number of levers aimed at improving the show. That was literally what it says in the conference. Improving the show. See if you can spot the tone here. An initial series of measures has been voted. For 2016, three choice of the two dry tyre compounds out of four that each team can use during the, f the race weekend. For 2017, 
faster cars, five to six second drop in lap times through aerodynamic rules evolution, wider tyres and reduction of car weight, reintroduction of refueling, maintaining a maximum race fuel allowance, higher revving engines and increased noise, hooray, and more aggressive looks. A few other measures have also been discussed for future investigation before they can be implemented, a global reflection on race weekend format, and measures to make starts only activated by the driver without any outside interference. So, King, this is obviously a, a huge deal. Yes, it's... Uh, even though it is extremely vague, it, vague. Does, it does at least confirm Formula One's going to be a vastly different sport in 2017. So yeah, in two years' time, all hell will break loose, essentially, given that refueling will be allowed back in, so we're going to have differently designed cars. They're so going to have to compensate for fuel and whatnot as well. Um, fuel tanks are going to be smaller because you don't need them for a whole Grand Prix anymore now. And, you know, they're looking for more aggressive cars. They're looking for engines that rev more. They're looking for more noise. And they're looking for brand new aero because they're looking for a five to six second drop in lap times. That's going to take some effort. Yeah, I mean... More downforce and wider tires are definitely going to get them there, but, but uh, it depends on where they're going to get that downforce from because you don't want to affect the quality of the racing. The racing right now is pretty good. It could be better, but we need to admit it's pretty good. Yeah, so people don't want to admit that because people still think it's 2001 again. And, you know, dirty air is a problem. I'm not, I'm not disputing that at, at all, but you've got to be real here. DRS was invented for a reason, and that's because, like, back in the days of 08 and 09, despite the fact you could push all the time, and, you know, apparently we as fans need that placebo of drivers pushing to make it seem like we're getting an exciting race, and you can't see it, but I'm doing that current, you know, when somebody winds their fingers to the side of their head like you're crazy. <laughs> fan survey! Fan survey! You know, that highly meaningful GPDA fan survey, which means absolutely nothing, but of course, you know... Fans feel compelled to write it because they feel like they have a voice. <laughs> um, no, um, essentially. But yeah, I mean, they don't get there. But the racing, believe it or not, has actually been pretty good. And the 2014 season ha was better than it had any right being, given the fact that Merckx was so good. Yeah. Um, in my, at least in my opinion. And if Merckx were that good and won, what was it, 16 out of 19 races that season. But despite that... It was. We actually had four or five, at least, very good races. To two or three being outstanding, quite frankly. And yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's hardly a complaint. I mean, does the show even really need improving? That's the question I want to be asking. As I I feel like I read this and I thought one, this is really vague, and two, I feel like why are we bringing back refueling? It doesn't really serve much of a purpose, especially given that the tyres still kind of suck and then deliberately degrade, so refueling doesn't really make a difference anyway if the tyres continue to fade in that Pirelli style of extreme degradation. You know what I mean? Well, I... It, it's... I, I kind of want to bring it back to IndyCar for a moment, where hmm. where they do have to have refueling for especially right. the oval races, because the oval races are extremely long, but it also plays a factor in the road course races, where yeah. we saw how refueling could add an extra degree of strategy back in Alabama at Barber, where you right, had Graham, 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 Graham. Yeah, Graham Rahal 
fresh tires, low fuel. He was clearly fastest, faster than Newgarden out there, but he didn't have enough time. But the only reason why he had enough, he had an opportunity because he could refuel and be on low fuel, just enough fuel to finish the race. Yeah, and it worked out beautifully, and it led for a highly exciting finish and a great scrap at the end between him and Scott Dixon for second. And yeah, I mean, yeah, it it, it can work. It can work in that regard. The question that Ted Kravitz posed on Sky Sports was, is it worth bringing back given the safety risks? Because we've seen many, what I like to call Eddie Murphy moments, where he talks about it in his stand-up routine, where he goes, that's a fire! And, uh, and uh, yeah, we've seen some big flaming incidents, and you feel fuel hoses getting knocked out of people's arms, and things like that, like, like Felipe Massa had it in Singapore 208, and things like that, and... Is it worth bringing back for that, King? You think? I, I think it is. I mean, really. I mean. Uh, I, it, it's a different world. It's it's safe. It it's a much much safer now. Yeah, I mean, IndyCar never has that problem, and they have their own brand of fuel pumps, do they not? Yeah, they have they have specially developed by Honda because Honda actually did a great job for once. Yay, Honda! <laughs> where, where basically they have this sensory probe within, within the inlet valve on the car that mm. will basically lock the car into neutral anytime the fuel hose is attached so you can't get cars driving off. And That's they also, excellent. yeah, you can't have cars driving off with the hose attached to begin with. And, and two, they also hose the car down just as it's leaving so you don't get fuel on hot brakes. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a really cool idea, actually. Well done, Honda, on that one. I didn't, I didn't know that was a thing, so I knew they were different, but I didn't know in what way they were different. So that's awesome. Yeah, well done, Honda, um, in in that regard. Um, the only thing which I thought was the real problem in F1 was cost cutting was kind of addressed. I mean, the fifth engine rule for this year has been scrapped, so teams will save money on that regard unless their engines are shit. <coughs> Remo, <coughs> um, essentially. So, yeah, Ricardo's going to be in a bit of trouble where that's concerned. There's going to yeah. be a big bill outside Christian Horner's office um, at the end of the season, given that they're probably going to be start to take engine penalties probably around the, the British Grand Prix, more unlikely. Maybe sooner if Renault haven't fixed their problem. Problems, so to speak, but for me, this this press release is interesting. It's kind of vague. I think I, I think there's no doubt it will change between now and 2017. I don't think everything they put on paper is going to go ahead. Uh, I think there was going to be a rethink in there because you've got to be specific with these things and and whatnot. Um, but the free choice of tire compounds and the refueling is interesting. I don't think it's going to make the show dramatically better or anything like that. Um, I think it's a lot of fan service in this press release more than anything else. You know, a lot of the common things that fans will complain about on the internet and whatnot. But I'm intrigued to see what they do with it. Yeah, it could go, it could go anywhere. It's like if this is the same thing when back in probably I think 2007, 2008, where they promised there's going to be more overtaking and then DRS happened and everyone's like we wanted more overtaking but not this kind of overtaking <laughs> exactly it's like be careful what you wish for really isn't it you know it's like we well, we want more passing yeah be careful what you wish for um yeah say so, oh these passes are too artificial and I'm like oh for god's sake really oh. <laughs> you you want you want a dirty air counter you just got one stop bitching yeah. um uh, essentially but yeah you know I'm intrigued to see what they do with this I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it 
And um, yeah, um, I'm definitely intrigued in that regard. So yeah, let's let's see what they do with it. I would say. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I mean, uh, they 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 kind of pushed away the big elephant in the room by, you know, Formula cost. One. Yeah, cost. It's Formula One for most teams. You're not getting any money. No. Even more so now, because now because we fueling's coming back, it's going to be another added expense for said teams as well to manage uh, said fuel. De- depending on how refueling comes back, that's like the big question: how much it's going to cost, depending on how it comes back. Like obviously, the IndyCar teams make like run on a fraction of the budget that Formula One teams do, and they have refueling just fine. Yep. Uh, but this is Formula One. We don't do things straightforward around here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We 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 deplete the world's finite supply of helium to you know gain an extra tenth on pit stops. Yeah, that's what we do around here. But um, yeah, so nothing's ever straightforward in F1. So let's see what actually happens down the road. But uh, I'm definitely interested to see what they do with this more than anything else. So. That just about wraps it up for the Motorsport 101 podcast in this episode. King, plug yourself again. <laughs> yeah, you could go check out most of my work on formula.nyc. You could follow me on Twitter at, at Ryan Eric King. And of course, you could follow me on, you can follow the site on Twitter for just the episode updates on the site at, at formula underscore nyc. Yep, and obviously you you know where to find me. Facebook, Twitter, just search Harrison101, you'll find me. Um, I'm, I'm going to be on Bike Live probably tonight by the time you hear this at 8pm, <laughs> more than likely, because it's probably going to go up on Friday afternoon. So, Or maybe even tonight, depends on how I feel, because I'm going to be up very late tonight anyway, so I have to see it and see what happens. But uh, yeah, on Fridays, I'll be on, on Fridays on Downforce Radio's Bike Live. Yes, half a chance you'll see me on Pitboard on Thursday, depending on what show's on and how they feel. I'm still not really on full... I'm not on full Pitboard panel status just yet. I'm still kind of working my way back in after my, <laughs> steak, after my steak and, and blowjob joke prohibition, uh, or probation, I should say, was was around for a good while. And um, I, I had to grovel at Jake Sanson's feet for 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 um dismiss for uh for forgiveness on that one. But I just want to say before I go as well, a enormous thank you to to a lot of a couple of things. First of all, because I haven't mentioned it in a little while yet, a massive thank you to everybody who donated on GoFundMe to make the Xbox One happen. It's a shame that Project Cars kind of sucks at the moment. <laughs> which kind is what, of. <laughs> which, which, is, which is kind of the reason why I've not done that many episodes for it yet. I've kind of stopped and the reason I haven't really been motivated to play. But the patch has made it better, so that hopefully will be starting up again later on in the week. And obviously, because I've got FIFA and things like that, there'll be more streams as well, so keep your, half, keep your eyes peeled on that. But my massive thank you to everybody that donated. I mean, your generosity was unreal. I could, I did not believe I'd, I'd ever make that target, and I did, and I was astonished that I did. So thank you to everybody who did for that. And a massive thank you to you, this is the show, because I probably would have stopped if it wasn't for you guys sending me emails, sending me tweets, and sending me messages on Facebook telling me, please don't end the podcast, Trey. I know it was an experiment, <laughs> but we really like it, and I'm like... Oh well, if you guys like it that much, I guess I can. I guess I can still do it. So, yeah. Uh, sorry about the one month delay between episodes. I've been very busy finishing off university assignments and whatnot. Um, so, 
yeah, um, apologies where that's concerned. We'll be back probably next week after MotoGP at Mugello. We've got MotoGP, we've got the double at IndyCar as well. And there's bound to be some F1 news to come up now and again. If not, we'll be, we'll be back the other the week after. I mean, I'm aiming for bi-weekly at worst. So, depends on what happens. Depends on if there's, if there's enough material or not. I'm still not an organized person, people. Okay, so please don't ask me. <laughs> like, when, when is this going to be ready? And like, it'll be ready when I say it's ready. Uh, but, you know, you, you can follow me on Twitter at Harrison101HD and, you know, and, and on my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Harrison101HD for any and all updates regarding that. And of course, a massive thank you to you for you to listening. If you if you liked this, please subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. If you really liked it, why not leave a review? It really helps us out. Um, and until next time, I've been Andre Harrison. He's been Ryan King. Until next time, thank you very much for listening, and I'll catch you guys next time. Bye.